Hey, everyone, and welcome back to Medicaid Leadership Exchange, a podcast series that explores priority topics with Medicaid leaders. I'm Hillary Kennedy, and I'm the Program Director for Medicaid Leadership at the National Association of Medicaid Directors. We're excited to work on this podcast series with our friends at the Center for Healthcare Strategies, and it's made possible by funding and support from the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation. As we continue to release additional episodes of the podcast, we're featuring conversations between Medicaid directors and sometimes members of their executive teams. And we're looking forward to our upcoming discussions, which we're organizing as a mini series, looking at a variety of the leadership dynamics that are at play for directors and their teams as they work to address equity, both within their agencies and for their members. I'd like to introduce our moderator for today's session. As always, it's Gretchen Hammer. Gretchen works with NAMD and states to provide strategic support and was the Medicaid director in Colorado. She also served on the NAMD board of directors. So with that, I'll turn it over to Gretchen to say a few words and welcome today's participants. Terrific. Hello, Medicaid Leadership Exchange podcast community. It's nice to be back with you again. Um, today, I am again pleased to be here with our colleagues from the Center for Healthcare Strategies, Mark Larson, who also has his own experience as a Medicaid director in the state of Vermont, um, and also two current Medicaid directors, Ben Schaefer and Kelly Cunningham from Rhode Island and Illinois, respectively. And the focus of our conversation today is really on data and how data can help a Medicaid program advance issues related to equity and efforts related to equity, in addition to simply understand the differential experiences of populations served by the program. And so we are happy to dig in with our, our two partners and to really begin the conversation around the importance of measurement and how, um, you know, the old adage of, you know, you can't change what you can't manage or you can't manage what you can't measure. And that the, the notion of having data available has been so critical during the public health emergency and now, as we look at the longstanding impacts that the public health emergency, the recession, and our better understanding of the differential impact of racial and ethnic communities in their experience with COVID, as well as longstanding health disparities we've had in our nation. So maybe I'll just start first with Ben and Kelly, if you could each just share a little bit about the current conversation that you're having with your current Medicaid team, your senior team, or with your members of your legislature or governor's office about Medicaid and issues related to equity and, and what data you all have and, and have been looking at to inform those conversations. So just a sense of the nature of the conversations at this point. I'm happy to kick that off, Gretchen. Thank you. Uh, in terms of some of the things that, that we're talking about, generally um, is a real stress from our stakeholder communities, our legislators, uh, and other policy makers in the state that our decisions be data-driven and outcome-focused. Um, in terms of the Medicaid program itself, uh, that, that can mean a lot of different things. You know, we're looking at developing some new rate methodologies, and we're also creating a healthcare transformation uh, collaboratives approach to disseminate about $150 million in money to collaborative organizations, groups of collaborative organizations that are really focusing on not only transforming healthcare, uh, but doing that in areas maybe disproportionately impacted by COVID 
or disproportionately uh, impacted economically and socially. So we have uh, relied on a lot of data um, collected through qualitative interviews, focus groups, uh, but but also data you know from the Census Bureau and a, a host of other um, other sources to help us drive some of this decision making and lead some of this policy work. Great, thank you, Ben. Uh, I think I think Kelly said it well. I, I would add you know from the Rhode Island perspective, you know for us I think we would we would like to say that this is something we are always focused on, but um, COVID put it into sharper relief. Let's let's be honest. Um, and really sharpened our, our, our focus. Um, and in particular on, I would say two things. One, kind of communicating around our, our values um, and, and thinking about our values, not just as a Medicaid program, but as a health and human services agency. Um, you know, our, our secretary, my boss is a, is a black woman and she always starts um, with three values, choice, community engagement, and race equity. And having that conversation and being able to have those, that conversation and, and quite frankly, forcing yourself to have that conversation, um, particularly not just on, on race equity, but the community engagement piece that comes with it uh, is something that we have really started to uh, internalize uh, in our in our day to day you know, work. Um, and then the, the second thing, just to, to add on to what Kelly said, is I think coming to terms with what our data is, where our data is, and quite frankly, in many cases, and I'm sure we'll touch on this, how incomplete it may be, and not shying away from it, being, being uh, you know, fine, knowing that the first step of really doing something is, is filling in those gaps um, and using it to, to continue that conversation. Um, and, and not letting the perfect be the enemy of the good, right? We, to, to borrow a phrase, if we're all trying to build back after COVID, um, doing that in a way that with a racial equity lens is, is part of it. And, and if that means fixing some of the underlying data systems that you have so you can gain a better, better sense, you know, so be it. Terrific. Thank you. And one of the things I appreciated is both of you broadened our conversation. I think typically when people think of data and Medicaid, they think of spreadsheets and claims data and you know budget documents. But both of you reminded us that data is also qualitative, right? Data is lived experience. Data is the reality of, of families and individuals who are um, navigating our programs and needing services provided by them. So first, I just want to acknowledge and appreciate, we'll take a broad view of data in, in this conversation. But Ben, as you mentioned, you know, some systems are pretty sophisticated across the country and other systems are, you know, we're building them, we're, we're better understanding them. Um, but maybe if each of you could share an example of where you do have a pretty good handle on a piece of data, a, a component of your program that has a stronger data infrastructure than maybe another, uh, and talk about what you've observed and, and where you've seen inequities, you know, come into sharper relief, as you've said, because you have a, a data system that you've taken the time to look at and understand. I can um, address that. We have a, a pretty robust, uh, and we've had it for some time, uh, enterprise data warehouse. Um, that supports the Illinois Medicaid program with a variety of data sets that, that are housed with, um, within this uh, data warehouse and a lot of very sophisticated users. Um, you know, we can easily pull out, um, you know, racial, demographic, um, you know, those types of, of information, um, age, all, all those sort of standard requests that we, we get frequently, I think, as Medicaid programs. However, there's a, a sort of a finer lens um, 
that has society has involved, uh, evolved, um, not just as a result of the pandemic, uh, but you know, as a result of civil unrest and and other changes in society. What we're finding is that it isn't always just the ability to collect data. Um, that's not enough. Um, we can collect data on race and ethnicity, but nothing requires individuals to complete that part of the application. Um, and, and the reason I bring that up is that we have programs in place and we're putting po programs in place uh, to assist, uh, you know, I immigrants and um, undocumented seniors, for instance. But if people are afraid to indicate their race or ethnicity um, in an application for a state program because they fear, um, you know, they, they, they fear a, a, a bad outcome, uh, or that this will trigger another action from another governmental agency, they're not going to do that. Um, the, the same with gender identification. You know, if our only choices are male and female um, in this day and age, we really have to think about uh, how we ask the question. So I think sometimes it's not just a matter of the data that we collect, it's how we ask the question and when we're asking the question, are we thinking about the um, um, unintended consequences of some of the answers? Yes, yeah. Thank you, Kelly, for bringing that up. Um, I think that's a really important component. If we're hoping to have more complete pictures, we have to make sure we're, we're painting the picture in a way that is accurate and is honoring of the people we're asking that information from. Yeah, I'll pick up on, on something Kelly said as well, and, and very similar experience in terms of how we're collecting the data. Um, we, we too have an integrated data system uh, in Rhode Island that, that consumes not just Medicaid claims data, but data from other agencies, um, labor and training, vital statistics, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and that is a big part of how we are trying to fill in whatever data gaps we have. And, and you know, I, I, I sort of hesitate to use this word, but there's all, almost a kind of taxonomy, uh, if you will, of which data sources do we believe in what areas? And when I was talking before about the community engagement, you know, part of that is actually going and asking people, um, you know, what they, what they think is most beneficial and, and reconciling a lot of those where, you, where they don't always ask the same question in the same way. Um, and, and Kelly just made a really important, another important point that I want to underscore, which is, you know, relying on what someone puts in a, you know, on a benefit application, you know, is, is not the be all, be all, end all. Um, it's good, and if we have it, that's great. But we're really trying to figure out through that integrated data systems, and quite frankly, working with with our managed care partners. Um, we have accountable care, Medicaid accountable care organizations uh, in Rhode Island who we're working with as well. Those are really where those care management, care coordination conversations are happening, um, and as as best as we can. Um, utilize some of that data, certainly encourage those conversations and utilize that data um, is, is, is very important. And, and knowing that um, that's really a, a probably a, a better source of truth than, than a, a form, a box checked on a form. Um, I do want to add sort of one last sort of piece on what we're definitely not doing because we had a lot of discussions about this. And, um, you know, even though our data is incomplete, we have drawn a very, very you know, hard line in the sand on any calculating uh, or imputation or estimation of recent ethnicity data. 
Um, there are some ideas out there on that. It's not to, you know, put them down or, or say that, you know, it's, it's, it's not useful in certain cases, but we uh, are really trying to be mindful of how sometimes data can perpetuate inequity um, through how data are compiled, through how they're used, and, and guessing or imputing uh, is a road that, that we, you know, simply were not willing to, to go down. Um, it makes the job harder, but it ultimately think we think it'll make it more impactful. Terrific. Thanks, Ben. That's really incredible and um, so grateful that you all have the time to share given those robust data systems. I wonder if you could each provide maybe a specific example of places where you've observed data, um, you know, either in your nursing facility data or in your, you know, childhood immunization data or, you know, telehealth visits or whatever it is where you did feel, Ben, to your point, that you had enough confidence in the data that you could say, we don't think people are having an, an equitable experience or have an equal opportunity for good services here. Um, and, and we're going to make some, some decisions about that. So I don't know if you each have a specific example of where that in the during this pandemic, um, you've had that much confidence in data and, and you're taking action. I can provide an example um, that, that's recently come to light um, but I, I want to stress, too, that this is information that I think we've all suspected. It's kind of been in the back of our heads for a long time. Um, but through the use of data and some sophisticated data analysis and actually some new robust relationships with our state public health department, largely driven by the, the work we did together on the pandemic, we've been able to access some information um, in terms of uh, Medicaid uh, recipients in nursing homes. And we've been able to draw some conclusions, and this is part of some rate reimbursement uh, changes that we're making, that individuals in Illinois who are black and brown have been disproportionately um, impacted um, by COVID uh, in nursing homes uh, because they live in nursing facilities or they're, they're currently residing in nursing facilities that are either understaffed uh, or they are living with two or three other people um, in, a nurse, in a room. And as, as a result of that, uh, you know, not are, only are they vulnerable, you know, due to the fact that they're in, enrolled in Medicaid and they qualify for nursing facility care, but the, you know, we as the state um, who should be responsible for ensuring quality care and services and a safe environment um, for our population um, have, have, this has kind of happened on our watch, you know, um, and it's, it's been um, illuminating. You know, we've shared this information uh, with legislators, with the, the nursing home industry in Illinois, with our sister uh, regulators, you know, we are uh, going to make some legislative changes, um, hope to, to change some state plans and, and, and do some other things to address these inequities. You know, but I, I think through this use and analysis of data, it, it, it's kind of reinforced what we had already suspected, but it's, it's really drawn a, a sharper point on inequity. Um, and it's kind of convinced us as a state Medicaid agency that we have a moral imperative to act. You know, we, we, what we know now um, is not something that can be ignored. Um, you know, we can't say, oh, we'll deal with it in five years. You know, we'll, it'll, it'll sit on a shelf. You know, we, we can't do that. 
And, and so um, that's a, spe a specific example of where, um, you know, the use of data um, can really help uh, drive things uh, from a policy perspective on the, uh, on the equity front and is doing so right now in Illinois. Terrific. Thank you, Kelly. Ben? Sure. Yeah, I'll go with the um, the other the other end of the age spectrum um, as we were looking at uh, children's services and early intervention programs, um, which you know for us and like many states were hit hard um, by COVID. Uh, families not feeling comfortable having workers in their in their homes, workers not feeling comfortable going into people's homes. Um, School disruptions, obviously, playing you know being challenging for um, referral sources for 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 those providers and for those kids, um, and and just simply a lot of uncertainty around around how uh, uh, how those services could be delivered. Um, but to to borrow Kelly's phrase of a moral imperative to act, you know these are these are our kids who um, they may not have gotten COVID, their parents may not have gotten COVID, but they are impacted nonetheless, and and we want to make sure that we're looking uh, at all the tools in our toolbox to um, return kids to care, to get them uh, uh, ready for school. And when we looked at that, you know, we were really trying to force ourselves beyond the normal, you know, oh, referral rates to early intervention providers are down, you know, X percent. That's important. That's baseline. Um, but, but what are we seeing and where are we really going to have to go outreach to different parts of our community? And, and, and what we found is, really across all measures in, in our early intervention, you know, program, you know, exiting before enrollment or before you even started with a provider, losing contact after enrollment, um, that our Hispanic families were uh, disproportionately uh, uh, dropping out of those of those programs. Um, and, you know, if, if there's one kind of theme, at least that I'll hit on, like, you have to be willing to say that out loud, you have to be willing to look at that data and, and approaching it without judgment. Um, which can be challenging, right? We, we uh, have started to broach this with, you know, with external stakeholders and there is a defensiveness. And, you know, I guess what I would say is like, there's, you know, it's on, it's on us as well. It's on the state as well. It's on me as well. It's, 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 you know, it's a lot of people's Medicaid program, but ultimately it's my Medicaid program. Um, and I, I think for, for examples like that, and, and Kelly touched on this, you know, it's always been there. Um, you know, I was a different example, but we were looking at, uh, uh, breast cancer mortality rates, um, according to our Department of Health data, um, significantly higher for African African Americans than than for whites in, in Rhode Island. But did we apply that to how we were thinking about our um, breast cancer screening measures in our accountable care organization program, or our, how, how we're connecting those kind of measures that we think we might have any, some other control over to um, to ultimate outcomes and and you know, that's, I think, you know, the, where we're really trying to push on, on both of these examples on, uh, on, on breast cancer mortality and on, on early intervention is disparity. Outcome measures are really what we're after. Um, you try and attack the process measures on it, but how do we reward, incent, uh, name, uh, raise up those kind of outcome disparities that we, that we ultimately are really concerned about because those are the ones that, that represent or at least should represent uh, a tangible difference in, in, in people's lives. Terrific. I appreciate both of you have, have taken this all the way to the outcome measure, right? That, that the moral imperative is not just that we make some nice policy adjustments, but that we actually measure whether or not those policy or payment adjustments have made the difference we anticipated them to make. 
you know, across your examples, I've heard you all talk about some of the, the Medicaid levers that you've pulled to be responsive. So whether those are a policy lever, you know, looking at the way you're collecting the data, reevaluating your, you know, enrollment processes, your quality measures, your payment. But I wonder if you all have found, um, as you've been working with stakeholders or with your legislators, that there is a particular mechanism or lever that people are, are sort of feeling is, the, is a good one to advance equity, right? Once you've done the data analysis and you identify a concern, have you all found that you know, the payment mechanism is the best mechanism, quality measures? What are the things you're seeing? Again, it's early. I understand that on many of these initiatives, but where have you at least the conversations been sort of most productive? In, in terms of the nursing facility example um, that I spoke of, you know, we have been having, you know, one-on-one -on -one meetings with legislators, uh, with the legislative leaders. We have a Medicaid working group that's part um, uh, consisting of legislators uh, in our General Assembly who we meet with weekly um, to talk through this. And and I, I'm not sure that I can point to to, to one answer. Um, I, I can tell you I've been somewhat surprised, you know, when we present the information um, regarding the disproportionate impact on black and brown communities that we've seen, you know, as a result of nursing home understa uh, understaffing and overcrowding. Uh, you know, many of um, the legislators I, I thought would be um, really um, taken aback by that, disturbed by that. Um, and from the, the black and brown legislators that we've talked about, they're like, yeah, we knew that. You know, we knew that. Uh, we've been in these nursing homes. We've had family in these nursing homes. Uh, we have constituents in these nursing homes. This isn't a surprise. I'm really glad that you guys have the data, that you're looking at the data, that you're doing this analysis, that you've kind of proven the point. Um, but it, it's been sort of a lack of, um, I, I really thought there would be more of a reaction to the data. And I, I, uh, I think about that personally, um, that I, I'm not sure why I'm surprised by that, you know, but I, I am. Um, in other cases, I presented some of this information on uh, nursing homes to our Medicaid Advisory Committee this morning and was told by the chair of our committee, who's a physician, stick with the data, stick with the data, you know, use the data, let it tell your story. And, and so we've got um, really, I can say, a really solid emphasis on, uh, you know, the data making the case. And we've tried lots of different ways of displaying it and explaining it. Um, but it's really, when it comes down to the data, that's what makes the case. Um, even if it's something we've known or suspected for a long time, having that verifiable, you know, uh, able to validate that data makes the case. Terrific. Thanks, Kelly. Ben, I don't know if you have thoughts on that question. Yeah, I just add briefly, I think the, since you mentioned, you know, payment models and this is a Medicaid podcast and we're Medicaid directors. So that's where my mind goes. Like, if you want to change something, you figure out a way to pay for it or withhold it or incent it. Like that's kind of like what we're here to do. And then every time I go down that road, either without the data slides or, or, or clear data that Kelly just, you know, referred to, but certainly without the engagement before that is usually a meeting I, I regret because you didn't do the groundwork. 
Um, and, and I'm a, a huge data geek. Um, so that is working, playing a little bit against type, if I'm being honest for, for myself as a, as a leader, to make sure to have that, that conversation. But what I will say, since you asked, you know, how, uh, essentially, how's it going? Like, sort of, what are you leading with? Where we are really leading with engagement, in particular, I think we're leading with engagement with our providers and our community-based organizations. So we have a, a social determinants of health strategy through our accountable care organization program um, that really is driving for us this conversation. Um, and that means really bringing together managed care, our accountable care providers, and community-based organizations in structured ways to not just have this conversation, but really integrate the quality improvement conversations we're having with the, with the race equity conversation. So we have, uh, we piloted it with our Department of Health, but we're expanding a program we call uh, Road to Equity. Since we're Rhode Island, everything it's usually has a, some kind of road pun um, that is really about that facilitated quality improvement project um, that they can pick, you know, we'll, we'll, sort of, we'll, we'll support it, we'll support it financially. Um, but spreading that and encouraging that and facilitating that in, in engagement being um, having to come with the data um, and ultimately being the way in which you can build more trust and partnership between, you know, all the organizations that I, that I mentioned. Terrific. Um, well, this, this podcast has had just an incredible amount of insight already, but, you know, as we turn to concluding our conversation, I wonder if there's any other bit of advice or, um, you know, guidance that you would provide to fellow Medicaid leaders and others listening um, about how they can either build their confidence in their data or use their data um, to advance equity. Any other final sort of pieces of wisdom that you would share? Yes, I and Ben touched on this in, in some of his earlier remarks. Um, you have to be able to talk about it. And I don't just mean explain the data. I mean, take what you're seeing, take what you've learned and tell the story. Um, I think that's really critical, you know, and, and some of what we're learning, for instance, in our nursing home rate, uh, rate work, that it, it's not a pretty story to tell. It's, it's a very tragic, um, it, it's a tragic story. And you have to be able to speak honestly truthfully um, about what you're seeing. You know, this isn't something where the data is telling you this. You know, you, you serve anyone's good, including your program, by uh, either soft pedaling it or, you know, making it easier th than it is to understand. I, I, I really think uh, learning how to uh, wrap some words, you know, around these outcomes, um, you know, I, I think it's, it's important to have the data, but I, in some cases, equally important to be able to explain the impact of that data on your on your members and on your customers, uh, because I think that's what we we're uniquely charged with as Medicaid directors. Yeah, Kelly, I really appreciate that. Right, we've all we've all heard a compelling story dismissed as an anecdote. Um, and, and so it's really important to be able to tell both a compelling story and then to say this is not an anecdote. It is in fact a widely shared experience among this group of people or, or among the population served by Medicaid. So I really appreciate 
data alone typically doesn't get you there. A single story typically doesn't get you there, but you, you're helping to remind us we must weave those both together. So Ben, any final thoughts from you? Yeah, I would add or go back to sort of the foundation you know, that we started talking about, which is, you know, where's that data coming from? Um, and for us, that's our integrated data set and our, our what we call our data ecosystem being, and if I, you know, we're advising other Medicaid directors, so you, you've got to, you, you do, you can kind of get into, got to get into the weeds of that a little bit. If, if you're going to be confident about how your, where your data is coming from, how you're presenting it, you know, let it back up those anecdotes, let it back up those member stories. You, you better be sure where it's coming from. Um, I'm fortunate enough to work with a, an excellent cross-agency team of data folks and data stewards. We have really good sort of data governance around it. Um, but even so, we know that when we just look at our claims, we're missing a sizable chunk of race and ethnicity data. So again, naming that, coming up with a real honest-to-goodness integrated plan to, to do that, to address it, um, has to be front and center, or you're you're going to be behind. You know, you're just going to continue to be behind. Doesn't mean you have to wait, right? I think you can still encourage either you know verbally or with funding or what what have you, managed care providers, et cetera, to to build um, to collect race and ethnicity data, to to look at disparities, to incentivize uh, reduction in disparities and outcomes. Um, but but looking to your own house first, and then I'll I'll, I'll close with what you know, what um, our, our head of data and analytics at our, our secretariat level sort of said to me on this, which is and the mental shift that we all need to make is stop being passive receivers of data and being shapers of data um, and center the community in that collection. Um, she knows this stuff better than anybody. So when, when that was a pretty powerful way of reminding myself not to just, you know, look for the bar chart um, with the pretty colors, uh, but really make sure that you you yourself are getting into the weeds and then making sure after you've done that, you've got some some people you trust with the right skills to uh, to continue on that uh, that important work. Terrific. Thank you. I'm going to turn it over to Mark. But before I do, I just would thank you for your courage and your willingness, as you said, to get into the details, but to also be willing to have those courageous conversations about what you find when when you really begin to look at the data. But Mark, I'll leave it to you for some final leadership and uh, operational perspectives. Gretchen, thank you. And Ben and Kelly, thank you so much for the conversation today. I'm, as I'm reflecting, I'm appreciating that no one these days would argue against data-driven decision-making. No one is like, no, I just want to make it on a hunch. But I'm thinking about how each of you in different ways mentioned the fact that this is not just a technical matter. Matter. It's not just a matter of, hey, look at the spreadsheet and it'll tell you what to do. In different ways, you have mentioned how all of this happened in the context of the history of processes, practices, biases that have led to a system where, to a reality where people have different experiences in terms of access and outcomes of care uh, based on their race, based on their ethnicity, based on gender, rural versus urban, you know, any number of factors. And the importance of seeing how data comes from somewhere and having to think about what are the, how does that history influence how we collect that data, how we ask questions about that data. But also, you also both mentioned the importance of how you then use that data. Kelly, I think it might have been your point. I was reflecting on the, the power of having your personal experience confirmed by a state agency like the Medicaid organization, 
using its data to reinforce that I really do experience it that differently. My family was impacted differently during COVID. And then the, the leadership challenge of being able to communicate with that data. Uh, we know that if you just can't go to your legislature and say, hey, look, this is what the facts say, just do it. Uh, that there is a, a power of communication that goes with it. And Ben, you talked about your commissioners uh, focus on the values and the community engagement piece. Uh, I think these conversations reinforce for us over and over again, the importance of thinking more about how we engage with communities and community voices in our conversations. Mm -hmm. And so even on a highly technical matter like data, it's interesting to see the leadership process around uh, relationships uh, and, and vision come back into play. So I really appreciate your, your contribution to the story today. Great. I just want to say thank you to everybody for being on today's call. Ben, Kelly, Mark, Gretchen. It was truly a really fantastic and grounded conversation. I particularly appreciated the reminder that we're not just passive receivers of data, that we can play a role in shaping um, what that information is. So I thank you all for the conversation and for everyone listening. Thank you for your time as well. I hope you learned as much as we did. You can, as always, find our new episodes on the uh, NAND and CHCS websites or wherever you subscribe to your podcasts. So thanks, everyone.